welcome to the ministries of the Bohomi Baptist Church, where we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, fair before Him in all the earth. And the pastor is Reverend Nelson. Be blessed by the sermon that you're about to hear. this uh, mini-series dealing with the problem of suffering. And today we want to, I would like us to continue in that same, same vein. I want to invite you to turn with me again back to our scripture, the passage that we used to launch this message last week, or the verse for that matter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. I want to go back there again today. 1 Peter 2, 21. And the word reads, For even thereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Today we want to answer the question as the Lord leads, who or what caused suffering? Who or what? Last week we saw that Christian suffering can often bring about very positive results. He said it keeps the world from becoming too attractive to us. It can bring out the best in us because suffering removes everything that is movable. And in the end, all that is left is just the real us. Am I talking to somebody? So that God can use our suffering as an occasion to silence the enemy. We said suffering can make us more appreciative. Can make us more sympathetic. It teaches us how to really pray. And in light of these that we saw thus far, perhaps we can understand why God really allows it. Mm. In this message, we hope to cover what I consider to be even the more difficult aspect of this matter of suffering. And I'm not by any means suggesting that uh, this is final. Who are what is responsible for the suffering that exists in the world today? Is it the work of God himself? Is it Satan? Or is it simply natural 
consequences in a world of cause and effect. Let us, let us look at this a little closer. Suffering may be the result of our own actions. You mentioned the law of cause and effect, the law of action and reaction, the law of sowing and reaping. All these come into play. So if we violate these laws, the consequence or consequences at times are often grave. Like, for example, a person decides to step off a four-floor building or to go and stand in the road and a, you know, a truck is speeding on. Mm. We can be the cause of the suffering if we go contrary to these laws. In such case then, suffering is experienced because whether knowingly or unknowingly, some natural law has been violated. It's not because then a person is good or a person is evil. But because these laws are violated. In this case then, brother, sister, there is no moral significance to suffering. It just happened. Somebody just did something unknowingly. And then, as the Bible says, you reap what you sow. Mm. What really hurts in this case is when somebody's failure to obey these natural laws cause you, the innocent one, to suffer. Somebody driving on the highway and the light is on red and for no reason whatsoever they just decide to go straight through and then they head on in your vehicle and uh, you are doing the right thing but then there is trouble there is suffering or think about an alcoholic parent who decide to abuse a child or their children it is not their fault but they ended up being the one suffering it is especially, especially hard in those cases. Some people would then conclude that all suffering is the result of the violation of some natural law and that God or Satan has absolutely nothing to do with it. But the Bible teaches otherwise. And that's what I would like us to consider today, that suffering may be the work of Satan. Oh, Lord. As in the case of Job. Mm. As in the case of persecuted Christians. Satan's objective is that we might curse God 
as some do when they experience suffering. But why, why does God allow Satan to test us so? First of all, because God is able to use such suffering to make us better. I confess today that in the Christian community, for the most part, we are better off, but we are not better people. And sometimes God allows things to come our way, suffering, oh Lord. And his desire is to make us better. So God allows these things to happen so that he can make us better people. As was with the, in the case of Paul, he testified that he had a thorn in his flesh. And we know there's a lot of speculation as to what that was. But he said, I've been to the Lord, I've gone to him on two occasions, and I asked him to deliver me from this. And there was no response, but he said the third time, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in weakness. Mm. James tells us that the trying of our faith, and that's what suffering does, it tries our faith. But James said it can produce good results. Consider what God will do for those who are able to endure Satan's shenanigans. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 verse 10, But God, or the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, Establish, strengthen, and settle you. Hallelujah. Let's, let's, let's try to pull this verse apart a little and, and see what it's saying to us here today. God himself uses the believer's suffering to perfect the believer. The, the word perfect here means to make fit or join together. To restore. And the idea that the word carries here is that of mending a net. The same Greek word used in Matthew 4.21. That of restoring an erring brother. Galatians 6.1. Of framing the body and the world in reference to creation. Hebrews 10 and verse 5. All of this comes the general idea or the general sense of perfecting that God takes all of the displaced joints and broken limbs of our lives and use them to adjust our character. He used all the trials and temptations, the difficulties, the persecution, and the sufferings of this life and he makes us more and more like Christ. Mm. If we truly called 
him our father and if we are truly called of him then God will take all that ever happened to us and work them out for our good. He will perfect us, fit all the parts of life together and lead us to glory. This is the glorious grace and call of God to eternal glory. The second thought is this. God himself uses the believer's suffering to establish the believer. The word establish means to make steadfast, firm, and solid. It means to be firmly set, as firmly as if one was to set in a, something one would use to reinforce concrete. It means to be immovable. God is able to attach us to himself to such a degree that we will be immovable no matter how severe the attack, the temptation, the suffering. God is able to establish us. But at the same time, we must remember our duty because we do have and that is we are to draw near to God and we are to resist the devil. So in time of our suffering, in time of our struggle, we are to draw near to God and at the same time we are to resist the devil. Let's look at the third thought. God himself, the Bible says, will straighten us. Mm. Most translation or translators said that this refers to the full strength, the supernatural power of God that God infuses in the believer to endure trials and temptation and suffering. And the Bible is clear that it is only God who can give this strength. Then last of all, God himself will settle us. The word settle here means to secure, or to be, uh, yes, to secure as in a foundation, to ground with security. God is able to make us secure through all the sufferings of life, no matter what they are. He's able to settle and secure our nerves, Secure our thoughts, secure our fear, all the uneasy and unnerving emotions that disturb us. God can settle us if we only remember that we are to draw near to him and we are to resist the devil. We can also take consolation in knowing that Satan has his limits. As in the case of Job, God will let him go only so far. As promised in Paul's letter to the Corinthian, but God is faithful. 
who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able to bear, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So Satan is often permitted to bring suffering upon the righteous. And his purpose is to devour us, to get us to curse God, but by the grace of God, we're able to use that suffering to perfect, to establish, to strengthen, and to settle ourselves as the children of God. So we see that suffering can, be, can come about as a result of some violation of natural laws that are already in existence, whether we know of it or not. And it can come about as a result of somebody else's violation, not necessarily ours. And that suffering can come about as a result of Satan. And his desire is to devour us. And he will bring suffering and try to use suffering to destroy us. But the ultimate question that uh, we are faced with at this point is, is ever there a time when God himself may bring suffering upon his children? Now I believe that the Bible teaches such. Ah. So let us consider on this third thought here that suffering may be the chastening or the chastising of God. Oh Lord. The fact that God chastens his children is taught in both the old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, said to Israel in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 5, Thou shalt also consider in thy heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chastens thee. Oh Lord. Proverbs chapter 3, we we, we all know 5 and 6 by heart, but listen to 10 and 11. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he corrects. Even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Let's move over to the New Testament. Revelation 3.19 As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Hebrews 12, 5-8, bear with me. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, Despise thou not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, 
and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure suffering, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastening, listen to this clause, whereof all are partakers, that is, all of God's children partake in God's chastening. All are partakers. If you are without, he said, then you are bastards and not sons. What would be God's purpose of chastening his children? Certainly not because he delights in it. Ah, Lamentation 3, 31 to 33. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Verse 33. For he did not afflict willingly, God does not afflict willingly. It is not his will to afflict. That's what the Bible is saying. But he does so out of necessity. That when there is a need for him to afflict his children, he does afflict. But he does not do so willingly. Am I, am I talking to us today? He does not afflict willingly. nor grieve the children of men. He doesn't do so willingly, but because it is necessary. Paul says, we are fathers after the flesh who correct us and we give reverence to them. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the father of spirit and live? When our earthly father chastens us, he chastens us for his own good pleasure. That's what the Bible says. Uh, uh, chastens us because a number of thoughts might go through his mind. It's been his life building the family's name. And he doesn't want you to come and destroy it. So he chastened. You can see the grief and the embarrassment that you will encounter if you go the path that you're going. So he chastens. He corrects. But God's correction is different. Because God has nothing in it. Oh Lord. God chastens us solely for our benefit. He has nothing to lose. So the chastening of God in the life of a child of God is for the benefit of the child that has been chastened. He chastens us, the Bible says, so that we might be partakers of his holiness for our own good, for our own benefit. Oh, Lord. 
God chastens us that we might bring forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. He chastens us so that we will not be condemned with the world. And the question that we are faced with in light of this is, when, when would God chasten us? God chastens us only when we fail to correct ourselves. Mm. Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So God chastens us when we fail to heed his warning. And there is always a warning before a chastening. Always. And we are chastened of God because we ignore the warning. So he chases us. Bible says when we are judged, we are chasing of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. How does God chasten us is really the question that we want to answer also. Now I looked at the nation of Israel in their rebellion. And when God decides to chasten according to the book of Amos chapter 4, and if you read verses 6 through 12, it will tell us that God chastened Israel by using natural event, not supernatural, natural. Mm. That they were in a drought, and because God's judgment was on them, God caused rain to fall in the other cities, in the other jurisdiction, and not in theirs. So there was drought in their land. That was the chasing of God. And they had to leave from where they were to go to other cities to get water. And God's desire was that even as they would go, they would realize that they are not getting any rain because there was sin in the camp and they need to repent. But they kept going and going and going and still no consciousness of their error that they would repent. And so as a result, it continues. And God said to the prophet, although he did all of this to try to get their attention, they still disobeyed. They still disobeyed. So God used the natural elements, the rain that we are accustomed to getting from time to time. God uses it to bring about chastening in the lives of his children. And God can use the natural elements today as well to chasten us. Ah. If we think about the time that we are in dealing with this coronavirus, people who ignored God all the years long and just go about their own thing, their own way, doing their own thing, they realize that they need God. 
They realize. Even people who never pray, they start praying now. Because there is an invisible enemy that nobody can really see. That is taking, well, that's the idea of invisible, really. That is taking so many lives. And people get to understand that I'm not sufficient at all. Because I cannot handle everything. There is one who rules, one who reigns supremely over all. He's the only one who can handle all things. God brings about chastening. God brings about chastisement in the life of his children so that his children would look to him. They would resist the devil. So if you are going through some unusual type of suffering at this point, doesn't matter what it is, if you would continue to resist the devil and draw near to God, God is going to get the glory in the end. And God is going to work everything out for his glory and for your good. We might not understand it right now. And sometimes it seems so unfair. But remember, God is in control. And God is able to work all things out. God is able to make all things work together. For good. God is able to those who are called according to his purpose. So don't let your suffering overtake you. Don't let your suffering get you down. Put your trust in God. Put your trust in God and God is able to see you. The gist of what I'm saying is this, that when we experience suffering in our lives, it may be the cause of some natural law that may have been broken. Uh, probably not by us, but by some other individual. And in this case, it's not because we are good or because we are bad just happen. Then suffering can be the cause of Satan. And when he brings suffering, he's trying to devour us. He's trying to get us down. We need to resist him and draw near to God. God will draw near to us. And then Suffering may be the chastening of a loving father. And when he chastens, we should always understand that he does not take pleasure in it. He does so because he had to, because we failed to correct ourselves. And so he has to chasten us. Hmm. But we should always remember that his chastening is out of love. Because he loves us and he does not want us to perish with the wicked. So understand my brother, sister, 
God will not always change our situation. But God uses our situation to change us, which is far more important. It's more important that we are changed for the better. Because sometimes the situation changes and we go right back to where we were again. God might not always change your situation, but God uses the situations in life to change us. David testified, and he said, it was good for me that I was afflicted. It was good for me that I suffered. That's really what he said. Because as a result of my suffering, I have learned to keep your statutes. Because I suffered, I learned. So he said, it was good for me, oh Lord, that I suffered. Now, when David was going through his suffering, I don't believe he's saying that the suffering is good for me. But after the Lord brought him through, and he realized what the plan of God was in the midst of all this. He looked back and he said, it was good for me that I suffered. Oh, that the day would come when all of us as God's children would be able to look back and say, it was good for me that I went through that difficult period. It was good for me that I was in that tough spot. Because as a result of being there, God has shaped my life for the better. Amen. And now I can give God glory. I can give God thanks. And I can give God praise for what he has done for me. So you are dealing with your struggles, your trials. Stay with it. God is able to bring you through. No matter what the source may be, God is able to bring you through. Hallelujah. For Christ suffered for us and he has left us an example that we should follow his steps uh, not too many amen hallelujah but this is going deep down in our spirits amen 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 Christ suffered for us he has left us an example that we should follow in his steps may the Lord help us Amen. To walk in the footprints of Jesus. To follow in the steps of Jesus as we go from day to day. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. Our Lord God, we praise you. We adore you for who you are. Pray even now, Lord. That your word will find a lodging place in our hearts. That, oh God, no matter what we may be going through, that we would understand that you're in control. And there is a purpose. You're able, Lord, to work everything out for your good. You're able to work out everything for your glory. So I pray that you would help us, that we would resist the devil. And we will draw near to you in our own suffering. We give you thanks and we give you praise. 
Father, there might be somebody who has not yet started on this journey. God, we pray for them. They would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. Understanding that even those who do not know Christ as Savior, they suffer also. But our suffering is purposeful. Our suffering is meaningful. Because God is able to make all grace abound toward us. So I pray today, Lord, that you would bring somebody to saving knowledge, Lord. For you say, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we shall be saved. And I pray today, dear Lord, that you would save somebody by your grace. Oh God, it is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we just want to thank you for listening to today's sermon here at the Bavoni Baptist Church, where sharing Christ is every Christian's business. So as we depart, go and serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.